it, it's so well done that you watch the movie and you forget that it's all this you know one long take or you know seemingly one long take D- did you really forget it <laughs> yeah i didn't forget it <laughs> no i i'm serious Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 325 with a review of Birdman. I'm Christopher Schnazy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, uh, we're talking about it. Birdman. Ah! We are here. <laughs> Good one. Starting off strong. <laughs> Are you the Birdman for? Well, okay, I couldn't. I couldn't hold out. Well, I mean, it's you know, I'm trying to start off st- strong, Carson, because the last couple of weeks we've just had incredible difficulties. <laughs> one crazy episode with nasty crosstalk. One episode that I didn't record at all. It's true. I, I, I'm trying to like start this one off a bang. We're here. You know, I don't want to find myself like you know, 20 years from now trying to do some stage play that sort of relates to my life, but sort of just- doesn't. Just wishing you'd done episode 325 yeah. you hadn't turned it down exactly. yeah, wishing that you would try to like uh, recreate all your audio from scratch or whatever <laughs> that could have been the one defining thing of my career right now you're going to have to go do some uh, some play to, to recreate the mojo yeah mm-hmm. but I mean I, I, I am feeling better uh, this week and, damn it I, other than oh, the what fact was that? that I keep, I keep bumping everything that's on my desk I tried to grab my thing of coffee and just hit my pop filter. Chris is walking walking through a china shop right now. (laughs) (laughs) Recording live from uh, Bed Bath & Beyond kitchen section. Uh, That I'm not doing. But anyway, I'm feeling all right. How are you guys feeling this morning? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm I'm enjoying the extra hour from Daylight Savings Time, but then we started an hour early, so... I'm actually not enjoying anything. We're actually starting (laughs) kind of on time since, um, you know, it's almost We had to get our 45 minutes of banter out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case anybody didn't uh, enjoy all all the, like, rambling we did in one of our last reviews, uh, we we decided to talk for all this time before Mm -hmm. we started recording. You should know you're only getting half of the random conversation (laughs) that happens on any given spoiler warning. You know, and I was too. I, I haven't checked this morning, but like the last couple of days, I did check to see if anybody left us that review that we dared them to, to leave us. And mm-hmm. sadly, I was very disappointed to know that nobody did. <laughs> Should have dared them in the first 10 minutes of the episode. <laughs> you know, you're, you're probably right about that. It's hard to get them to review it after they've unsubscribed. Or, or maybe it's like WTF where they skip the first 10 minutes, just go into the review and then don't don't listen to anything but like... What did they think about the movie? Good, good, good. I'm done. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what that's what the enhanced podcast or the enhanced feed is there for. So you can just like pull down a little menu and jump right to the review if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Or I guess technically you could just skip right to the verdict. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I, I would say I wouldn't condone that. But hey, if you're <laughs> the more people that download this even to just skip to the end. <laughs> technically, you don't even have to listen to this. Yeah. I mean, as long as you download it. That, that's yeah. all we care about. Saw right. You're just a body to us. <laughs> You're just an IP address. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you guys ready to get into this Birdman review? 
<clears throat> yes. I'm trying to find a good Birdman quote to answer Caw-caw. that with, but I can't. <laughs> well, we got to hurry up and do this because it smells like balls in here. It smells mm. like balls. All right. <laughs> here comes the trailer. <laughs> How did we end up here? This place is horrible. It smells like balls. We had it all. You were a movie star, remember? Who was this guy who used to be Birdman? I like that poster. You wrote this adaptation? I did, yeah. And you're directing and starring in your adaptation. That's ambitious. Are you afraid people will say you're doing this play to battle the impression that you're a washed-up comic strip character? Absolutely not. That's why 20 years ago I said no to Birdman 4. Hold the mask off! You do have the mask Now you're about to destroy what's left of your career. You know I'm right. You're so nice! Hey, what's up? Why don't you try to rest a little bit? Face it, Dad. You're doing this because you're scared to death, like the rest of us, that you don't matter. And you know what? You're right. You don't. Baby, can you understand me now? Sometimes I get a little mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel? When things go wrong, I seem to go bad. Listen to me. I'm just a You are the original man. Let's make a comeback. That's what I'm talking about. You're a bird man. You are a god. Hey, is this for real or are you shooting a film? A film! You people are full of crap. Music. He's a Hollywood clown in a lycra bird suit. Yes, he is. But he's going out on that stage and risking everything. It's about being respected and validated. Remember, that's what you told me. I got a chance to do something right. I got to take it. Give the people what they want. Let's go back one more time and show them what we're capable of. So you just listened to the trailer for Birdman. Um, we have this guy who, you know, back in the day, he used to be a winged superhero. And uh, now he is no longer that. But a lot of people apparently know him from being that. And he is trying to do this big play based or written or adapted from a writing of a somebody that he has a fondness for. And uh, yeah, a lot of craziness ensues as he tries to do this big performance to try to salvage the career. He's worried that he has run into the ground. So, Carson, why don't you start us off and let us know what you thought about this film? Wasn't it uh, Raymond Carver or something? Not that it Yeah, matters. Raymond Carver. Yes. Yeah, yeah. definitely one of the, uh, like, ooh, plays. He's the guy who invented the turkey carver, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think he was the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> All of our uh, literary audiences shaking their heads right now. I'm shaking my own head because that joke, <laughs> like, the device is a carving device. Like, if his name was, like, <laughs> like whatever, turkey, then that would make more sense. 
Raymond Carver, inventor Everybody of Raymond. Everybody loves him. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. He does. <laughs> well, Michael Keaton did say he looked like a turkey with leukemia. So, uh, <laughs> I guess it's all relative. Um, Birdman, though, is... Uh, Simply put, I think it's a fantastic film. I uh, I really dug Birdman. I was kind of mentioning last week, or maybe it was the week before, um, you guys hadn't seen it yet, but I was talking about like uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, uh, his body of work, which, slight tangent, uh, my girlfriend noticed that there is a uh, apostrophe over, not apostrophe, the, uh, the little tick mark over the A, so I guess it's technically... Inaritu, even though I've always said Inaritu, I don't know. It's just something that's bothered me because now, like my whole like worldview has been shattered. I was like, but I've always said Inaritu, and I've heard other people say it that way. And then she's like, <laughs> "That's the thing that that shattered your entire worldview." Yes, it did. She's like, "No, you're wrong." Whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, I you know he's he's mostly known for doing these uh very sobering dramas like Twenty One Grams and Babel and. Maurice Peros, and uh, his last film, Beautiful, which I was not a fan of because it just seemed like a culmination of super depressing themes, and um, it, it just was not a fun movie to watch. Uh, so it sounds like something I'd really enjoy then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I uh, you know, it's I always like when directors decide to change it up, and while this movie is certainly dark... Uh, it's it's very funny and uh i think his definitely his most accessible film um and not that that's a high bar to pass no but uh <laughs> wait, it's probably wait, wait, you really it, think this is the, one of his most accessible films it's the yeah, first oh, film where sure. like many people aren't crying <laughs> i mean if you've seen his other his other movies this is, this is by far his most uh his most pleasant and uh i think uh accessible movie but and, I think, like, I mean, I like, I, I really liked Amoris Peros, and, like, that, while there's a lot of stuff happening in it, it is, like, a, there's, like, a standard narrative that's being told there that, that it, I mean, it's a drama that there's a lot to latch onto, and I think that the, I don't, I, 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 there's a lot of stuff happening in this film that I could see that would scare away an average uh, well, watcher. No, I agree with that, because I think the movie is pretty inside baseball uh, in terms of, like sort of the filmmaking entertainment side of things. Um, but I guess to clarify, I guess it's accessible in the way that spring breakers is Harmony Corinne's most accessible film. It's just cause it's not, it's not like so polarizing where you're just like, Oh, well no one outside of, you know, someone who likes films will like this movie. Um, but yeah, I think it's something to do with that where it's, it is a complete change of pace though. And I think that, um, I don't know, like I'm nothing against Inuritu, but I just wasn't expecting it to be so funny. Like it just, it really is a hilarious movie. Um, and, and the fact that Michael Keaton is the lead role is, uh, is great on so many levels because I've always loved Michael Keaton and, and, you know, he kind of got like, it kind of seemed like he was going to make a comeback like about 10 years ago. He was in like White Noise and some other terrible movies like Herbie Fully Loaded. White and I was, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say White Saw. Yeah, White Saw. And I was like, oh man, Michael Keaton's coming back. And then like they were all, all those movies sucked and bombed. And, you know, he kind of like went away for 
for a while again and now you know he's but then he rocketed to the front with his role in need for speed (laughs) yeah his need for speed and the stupid robocop movie and the new one and you know he's coming back and i think birdman is totally uh it's totally a movie that i you know i'm i'm that i like want him i want him to be in more movies like this because you know like going back and and uh you know just just on Halloween watching uh, Beetlejuice again. I was just like, man, Michael Keaton is so good. Like, and, you know, seeing like some of his older movies I hadn't seen um, pretty recently. It's just, he's such a good leading man. And like, he, he's like very convincing as the everyman. And um, this movie is especially awesome because I, I don't know if it was written specifically for him, but if it wasn't, it's kind of a stroke of genius because so much of it in it is, you know, reflects his real career you know like yeah i mean if it's not written for him it had to be adapted for him unless there's another washed up batman that they feel like it would be tailor-made oh some of it i mean obviously the the conceit of birdman was still there if it was a film starring robert daniel jr it would be called like metal man or something (laughs) like that (laughs) but but the fact that like there's a lot of like really um i feel like sly references that they, they would have to change after knowing that Michael Keaton's going to play the role, because a couple things like you know in the in the infamous uh, interview scene, we go, oh boy, man, in that scene, um, <laughs> you know, we we learn that Michael Keaton has done three Birdman movies and he turned down Birdman four, um, which is not unlike doing uh, two Batman movies and turning down Batman three, um, and also he says, you know, Birdman three came out. The last Birdman movie came out in 1992, and uh, Batman Returns came out in 1992. So there's you know there's stuff like that, and I also think you know uh, like Edward Norton's role in the film obviously had to been changed, I, or I feel like I feel like that was maybe in the movie, but it just like they just so happened to get Edward Norton, so it fit. But the fact that like I think Zach Galifianakis has a line where he's just like, oh, he dropped out of this other big like uh blockbuster movie to do you know your play and it's funny because you know edward norton was the hulk and dropped out of the avengers to you know do something else so uh there, there's definitely a lot of interesting things you know like that in the film and uh and and i think that you know overall it's a great satire of the entertainment world and i always love movies like that um i don't think it's like it's not like completely it's not like completely like brutal, like uh, swimming with sharks or something, and it doesn't have like sort of the, it doesn't have like that sort of like just complete frankness. But it is, it does feel like the movie The Player, which it was kind of like sort of a timely, you know, take on the entertainment world, like early '90s, and this is like a perfect encapsulation of trying to be, you know a movie star making a comeback in 2014. Um, and there's a lot of really funny stuff like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man gets mentioned and uh, stuff like that. And I think uh, it really is uh, a great send up to stuff like that. And uh, I think it's all navigated really brilliantly. And the performances other than Michael Keaton, who's amazing in it, um, are all great. Like everyone in it is perfectly cast. Um, and I think Edward Norton is hilarious in his part. Um, <laughs> he's pretty awesome. He's he's completely awesome in his role. I mean, it's a tough role to to play because he's essentially supposed to be like a dick who knows he's good, but 
has to like but he doesn't really seem good but when he does act he has to be good it, it's just there's a lot of layers to it that is really really uh i think hard to play but he hits them all well remember and, in, in tropic thunder when robert daniel jr was playing like the russell crowe type character right right like basically he is that character <laughs> right only right. he is the edward norton character <laughs> right yes. i mean he edward norton is playing several dudes in this film you know, dude's playing a dude within a dude or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't know it was that kind of movie. Uh, yeah, well, uh, the subtext is clearly there. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know what? I think, like, I think an, the MVP of this film, who just is a great role that comes in every, every once in a while and just kind of just steals a scene, is Zach Galifianakis. Like, I think he's totally awesome in this movie, and he'll just pop up and say like a couple lines and be awesome and then leave and uh i think that's he's like the jeremy piven in this movie just showing up crushing it and then taking off um and you know it's 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 cool to see him in a movie like this where it's a little bit yeah it's pretty much against you know what we're normally used to seeing him and that's always fun to see um so yeah i really love birdman obviously the the whole the whole um you know big thing about it being filmed to look like one take is is awesome too like it, it never it never it always feels seamless like you can never tell when i mean you can tell where they cut it but it always doesn't feel like oh well you know that doesn't seem fluid or whatever yeah um and i really i, I want to go back and see it again to to try and focus on uh you know where they might have done that because it's so well done that you watch the movie and you forget that it's all this, you know, one long take or you know, seemingly one long take. D- did you really forget it? <laughs> yeah, I didn't forget it. No, <laughs> In I, my I'm mind. serious. No, I'm I, serious. And- like you, you start focusing on like the performances and other things that are going on. You, you kind of forget that, like, oh yeah, like we're still watching like this long take. Well, like I, I don't, I don't want this to reflect as my opinion of the film as a whole, but. This film felt like a window into the strings of the like we I wasn't watching the film I was watching the the making of the film that mm-hmm. was happening as I watched it like there there this is like the one of the most complicated viewing experiences I've ever ex- existed in a theater for just because the whole time I'm just acutely aware of what is being done and I can't separate that from the experience like I enjoyed it 100% but it's at, at this like while watching it I'm just like I I don't know what I'm seeing because I'm seeing a film being made in front of me not the film that is the final product of what I'm watching. Okay, I'll, well, I'll, I'll get into it in a second, but I I 100% loved the camera work, but in my mind this was one of the biggest takeaways, so I definitely never forgot what I was watching. Yeah, yeah. Um I thought that was one of the most like impressive parts of the movie. Well, I mean, it's definitely impressive, and I, I don't know, like, well, for me, I guess I'm the only one um, that was, I don't know, it became natural after a while, and it just, like, you, you kind of had to, to remind to yourself. Me, to me, that statement just, it's the equivalent of saying, like, yeah, well, I was watching Fury, I totally forgot it was a World War II movie. <laughs> Uh, well at times i did because it didn't feel like a world war ii movie uh it felt like people playing dress up but um (laughs) all right anyway i didn't mean to start that tangent (laughs) no but i I know i think it's i think that's totally true that you just i don't know like how is that not 
I don't know, whatever. That's my opinion. But I think that uh, <laughs> I, I think that it's it's thrilling to watch because you know that it's all one take, and and there are certain scenes where they're going up on rooftops or uh, they're going outside, and you know you you know it's nighttime, and and you don't know how like they're going to transition to the next scene. Like, how are they going to do that? Um, and there's you know several things that they do but i think that you know that was another uh fun part of it was to 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 wonder like what's going to happen next because like you see some of these sequences you know like edward norton goes out to talk to emma stone on a rooftop and you're like well how are they gonna how are they gonna come back obviously they could just follow him back down but you know just like the way that it it plays out you know you want to keep the film moving swiftly so you don't want to just have it be you know you don't want it to have it feel like it's still there or whatever i don't know it's just that's what i thought so anyway <laughs> no like like i said it, it's good i like what they did but i just can't agree with the statement that like you almost forget that it's supposed to be one take because it's like painfully obvious uh, in a good way that it's supposed to be one take but it's yeah but you just didn't get like caught up in in everything else and then you it just sort of becomes natural it's like breathing after a while it just that's how it is <laughs> all right <laughs> i guess not <laughs> should we go on steven i, I yeah i'm done so <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean i i also loved this movie um in my mind as i said the camera work and overall like style so there's a whole mood that uh inyaritu i'm sure i'm saying his name wrong uh creates with this movie that's meant to be if not claustrophobic it's at least like getting in the mind of a person who is possibly psychotic but at the very <laughs> least at least like getting in the mind of a person who's plagued by his past life and inner demons yeah. and is kind of like marching around as things crumble around him um and first and foremost i thought the camera work was just like phenomenal in getting that across like of course it's all one take and most of the time that take is right behind or next to uh i forget keaton's character name in this movie <laughs> already oh uh um, riggin yeah R riggin thompson i think was what it was yeah i, I mean the, the camera is basically just following riggin thompson as he like wanders in and out of like the set and backstage and shit happens just behind him like things fall and smash and i i don't know there, there was this sense that like everything is just hustling like it, I, I don't know it really had that that bustle of being in a play where things are changing like the set is happening around you and i i, I really thought like the visual style added a lot to it um, and adding to that the soundtrack of just like these sparse kind of weirdly offbeat drum <laughs> yeah, Miles Teller just sitting in a room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Miles, all the, all Miles the percussion Teller. beats. Yeah, all, all the percussion beats like just added to this kind of like crazed urgency where there's this like uh, I, I don't know, there's this manic pace to the movie, and yeah. the fact that the camera is just winding in and out of hallways, and then occasionally will leap out through windows onto rooftops i mean it's really really like i the only way i can describe it is as like romantic camera work almost it's like like a grand broadway drama um and yeah in my mind that was 
like impossible to separate from the film in the like best kind of way. I thought it added so much to it. Um, I mean, there's like a really clever scene in particular where Edward Norton and Emma Stone are on the balcony and he's saying like, when I'm out on that stage, it's like I'm someone else. It's not even me anymore. And then it pans over his shoulder and he's down there giving the performance. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of cool do, transitions like that. Yeah. They, they like do these cuts. cuts. They, they do these cuts where it's like, it's not clear what the time is and it doesn't even matter. It's all just about like, very much like a play, I guess. It's just like one act is happening and then another act is happening. And this transition is just like things float by. I, I don't know. I, I thought it was really, really cool. Um, I was afraid, actually, that that would be a distraction because I knew that this was the quote-unquote gimmick of the movie going in. But after, like, 10 minutes of it, I was totally hooked on it. Um, with that said, like, of course, everything else around it is very well done, too. Um, my only thing is... So it's very meta, like Carson said, inside baseball. Like, there's so much name-dropping, like Downey Jr., Ryan Gosling, Jeremy Renner... Uh, George Clooney, which, of course, you know, two Batmans, basically, <laughs> one talking about the Batman that has had a more successful career. Um, <laughs> Edward Norton as the method actor who can be a pain in the ass to work with, which I believe is why he was not signed on for another Hulk movie. Like, suppo <laughs> yeah. supposedly he's like extremely demanding and he wants to have a part in the creation yeah. of the films that he does he wanted to be like a producer and have uh... well he he rewrote like uh the incredible hulk like yeah. un uncredited <laughs> yeah. yeah and and he's clearly like he's very much parodying himself here and of course other things he's doing the the downey jr tropic thunder type type thing as well but everyone is kind of it's actors who are doing the satire about why actors take themselves so seriously <laughs> all yeah. the time. Um, and it was meta to the point where like, there was so much intentional overacting in this movie. Like, like I mentioned, it felt more like a play where characters are like standing and talking and they're kind of, what, what do you call it when like you're on a stage and you have to project and like turn out toward the audience and say things in like really grand ways. Um, I feel I feel like there's a word for that, but all these characters are doing it. Especially like Emma Stone. Pretty much every time she talks, like the camera is zooming in on her eyes, and she's like saying some hugely dramatic thing about like this is what's wrong with you, and this is what happened to me, and every everyone is doing the super super hammy performance, which is like it, it's meant to be that way because it's making fun of drama and making fun of how serious everyone is yeah but it also kind of makes it like invincible to criticism <laughs> because like the more the more they're hamming it up the more they're drilling the point across like well, there, there's there's also that scene like right in the middle where uh michael keaton is in the bar talking to the woman who uh critiques plays and basically has the power to to sink any play that's in existence and yeah. like right around that time you're like i don't know if i can take 
like this is almost too meta for it to even be like cleverly meta anymore it's so on the nose meta and then he just has this line where he's talking about like really like you know what high art is like this play cost me everything like i have sunk everything that is me into this thing isn't that more art than the people who just do it because they know what art really is like isn't art sacrificing everything to communicate this one thing and it's like well isn't that kind of what this film is doing (laughs) like yeah, no, like, it, that's like your statement that it makes it immune to criticism is kind of like true. No, it's like when when you're so clever that you can like preempt every criticism by making fun of yourself, <laughs> making fun of the actors in the movie. Make, I mean, talk about like making fun of self-serious drama like the director is the king of self-serious drama. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And this, this, this is basically the film equivalent of the end of Eight Mile, where Eminem just raps yeah, about himself. Yeah, exactly. And you read who's like, "Boom! What are you gonna throw at me now, bitch?" And then he just drops the mic. And He's dropping off. the mic, dude. Exactly. And I mean, it, it makes it so they can sell these lines that should not be sellable. Like Edward Norton is standing on the roof with Emma Stone, and she's trying to have like a sexy conversation with him. And he said, "She's like, what would you do to me if you could?" And he's like, I would rip out your eyeballs so I could <laughs> put them in my skull and see the street Broadway the way that you see it. And yeah, like, so the, like, the, the way I saw it when I was your age. Say, Chris, I think you were saying something too. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. We said the same. I, we were I, talking over each other. Yeah, I was just saying that the the line was the, so I could see the street the way I saw it when I was your age. Like, it's a double insulting line. Yeah. And it's like, it's so... I, I don't even know. I can't say overacted because, of course, like, they do a great job. Like, Edward Norton is hilarious in this movie. Um, but it's so, like, broad and grand. And I think, like, the soundtrack was playing strings or something <laughs> during that. Like, one of the few moments where it <laughs> yeah, was a, a lot of, like, drum classical beat. tracks. Yeah. And, of course, it never gets into this feeling more than when Birdman is having his, like, flights of fantasy of how grand he is, <laughs> right? And how... <laughs> How, how he'll rise like a phoenix. Um, I don't know. I thought if I have one like criticism of it, which kind of ties into it being immune to criticism in the way that it's constructed, it's that like it's a super confident satire with a lot of biting remarks, but I'm not positive that it had something really deep or like brutal to say. Like, a lot of the ideas of the things it's kind of making fun of and about art versus Hollywood and how grand people feel and how reviewers aren't the creators, they're the ones who tear it down. It all seemed sort of like really obvious if you actually think about it. Like, like they're not deep insights or anything. They're kind of like your standard, these are the things we make fun of if we make fun of Hollywood. Yeah, Um, yeah. And that's all fine, but it is definitely given the kind of weight as if it were like a biting satire. Um, so I, I don't know. That, that's the one thing is it's so confident and does so much. And I'm not positive that it had as much to say as it could have on the subject. But in terms of like pure style and humor, then it's tough to beat. Like this is a really confidently made movie. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree. And it's funny, too, because, like, you know, as uh, when Carson was first bringing up his past films and stuff, it it, it sounds like this film really is, like, like these, uh, these not necessarily as deep as they could be, but, um, like, obvious statements are what his film would have had 
and yet he's trying to present it in the most artful, most excessively stylistic way he can to, he's like, look, I want this type of stuff in my film, and you were just going to treat it like it's a bunch of shit if I do that, so what I'm going to do is make it as artfully as I possibly can, but keep the, the subject matter exactly what I'd want to, but even take it in a more excessive way, and then present it to you, and see what you have to say about it now, because... It's hard for you to levy the same criticisms against it when I'm doing all of this stuff at the same time, as opposed to if I just have a standard narrative with these themes in it. Um, yeah. And I think that's, yeah, like, like I said, like I'm watching the film and I'm enjoying the crap out of it, but the entire time I'm like completely 100% aware of every, like, oh, okay, cool, this is where they split between takes. But I'm still thinking like even even discounting or even throwing out the fact that they they had to cut in this moment like still performing those scenes in in even the smaller chunks that they were originally filmed in is still an incredible feat and just the way things are uh choreographed like as you were talking about Stephen, where they'll be in one scene and it's technically a cut but it doesn't actually cut but it moves to those same actors in another position like you know i've seen lots of films that either try to do super long takes or um present the entire thing as as one take but they're always in real time this film has many moments where it shows passage of time without actually cutting or ending the take. And like that feels new and different in a way that I haven't really seen it before. And it's just every, every moment of this film is, is entertaining and artful. And while I still can't like the, the entire time I was watching the film, I was having fun and I was watching it going like, this is freaking rad. Like, this is awesome. Um, but at the same time, I was like, I don't, I, I don't know if this is as good as it is awesome or if the fact that I'm even questioning that is validating its goodness. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very perplexing film. As I was walking out of the theater, like one of the, uh, one of the, uh, people who work at the theater, like, you know, they're all lined up that they're going to go in and clean it after you leave. Um, like, I'm rounding the corner to leave the theater and like the guy asked me as I'm already past him and he's like, oh, how was it? I'm like, it was good. Like, I didn't know what to say because I couldn't like, <laughs> you know, like I'm already past you guy. I'm not going to stop. I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad you asked and start having a conversation with some dude. I don't know. But it was kind of mm-hmm. like I was walking. And I was like, was it good? I'm like, I think it was good. Well, I enjoyed it. Like, but was it good? And then like I, as every criticism I have, I just bounce back to the, the, the scene I already brought up with Michael Keaton yelling in the bar about like, putting so much of yourself into something that it validates what you were doing. And I was like, no, yeah, like, I think, <laughs> I think this was mission accomplished, but I still don't know if it's technically good. I don't, I don't know. It's yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of that, like, not, I'm sure I'm the only one who's going to compare these movies, but it's like 22 jump street where like <laughs> being ironic and aware of your flaws makes it so people can't throw it at you anymore. Yeah. Um, this is this and, is the art house twenty one or twenty two Jump Street. Yeah, twenty two Broadway Street. Yes, um, <laughs> but uh, no, and I mean I sometimes I would use that as like a criticism of you know a director having too much feeling too clever right or yeah. feeling too like meta. But this like the fact that the the style points this movie gets for how well it makes <laughs> everything makes me like. I don't even really care that much if it's cheating or if it's like not saying something as deep as it feels like because of all the flair that's added to it. Yeah. Like I want, I just want to like it. Well, it's also, it's not just like, 
it, it's also meta from an experiential watching standpoint too because like at the end where uh, you know like the actual flights of fancy start really happening like the the birdman persona talking to michael keaton is literally saying like hey all these guys they're not liking this shit anyways let's give them what they really want let's give them explosions <laughs> yeah. and crazy action and stuff and it's kind of like if you've made it this far and you haven't walked out and you're not on board with what i'm doing i'm just going to give you all this crazy shit and then you're going to walk out remembering that at the end of this movie and that's all you're going to be able to take away because you'll have like it, it's all built to this moment i've been teasing the entire time and it's Mm -hmm. like i don't know it's it's almost a masterful execution of this this like taking on people who aren't on board with it by giving Mm -hmm. them the thing that they're complaining that this film isn't and and he shows that he's really like he's good at that thing too it's kind of like like hey screw you i can do that too look at this (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'm not doing i'm not not doing that because i can't in fact, yeah. I'll do it for you right now. Are you happy? I did And we it. probably just blew half of our budget on this scene. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and I, I totally expect no one to agree with this, but I thought those Birdman sequences, uh, they look pretty good. Better than, uh, better than most superhero movies, in my stupid opinion. But the, yeah. the actual giant bird and the explosion stuff look great. Him flying around in the hallway. That was silly. Oh, no, no, no. Not, well, that, not so good. That's like that Peter Pan little, musical or something. That was yeah. a little... That was obviously... Uh, yeah, you could tell. But I mean, the other stuff like that was when he was just like, yeah, like let's give them what they want. And it's like, you know, big big bird comes down stuff. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, whatever. It's Ultron, whatever. <laughs> um, I, I have to love, by the way, just speaking of like big blockbuster superhero movies, that Emma Stone is the one talking about like you're just trying to be relevant, and she's in the Spider-Man movies. Yeah, <laughs> arguably like some of the most cheesy blockbustery of these superhero movies <laughs> that they're but making fun of. Probably the worst examples of the new age superhero movies. But is she doing it to to remain relevant, or is she doing it just because she? wants to do it she's doing it so she can work with you know auteurs like inari to inuritu or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> um no but you know that's yeah, what that, I, that's I, the I only was... thing is has she she has she had drug problems or anything because she'd be the only character who isn't like playing a form of themselves no, i don't think she's had drug problems but she's that just, we know of she's just really thin though yeah yeah. She's very good at looking like she has drug problems. Yeah. <laughs> at least in this movie, she's very believable. True, yeah. She's got that heroin look down. <laughs> Though I, I also felt, like I mentioned before, her character, every time she has something to say, it's like a grand monologue. Yeah. Uh, or almost every time. I kind of wasn't sure what her point was, like why she was in it, other than to add this like a dramatic flair in the movie. Because everyone else was so clearly like layered in irony and had like an archetype that they were portraying and emma stone's character i wasn't really i i was fine like she did a great job with it but i every time she was in the movie i was like what is the director trying to say here am i supposed to be on her side or is she someone that i'm supposed to be laughing at well i i think i think she's not to get too spoilery for the film if that's something you can do in a film of this type but uh i think she's there to ground a weight to the like so this whole film is about whether or not michael keaton matters and if he were gone if he were to disappear as his character says like oh, i'm not don't exist i'm disappearing whatever um would that would him disappearing leave a hole for anybody and the whole point of the film is to show us that like no one cares about him anymore so mm-hmm. i think they have to 
I think her character is there solely to ground him to some other force in this universe that if he was absent from it would uh, leave something missing for some other person. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like he, like he is, has lost everything, but he still has this daughter that he may or may not be able to connect with yeah. and or provide for moving forward. And I, I just wanted to mention real fast because you're talking about, you know, the scene where he's just like, let's just give them what they want. Um, and I I really am curious to, to know, like, if, if an average moviegoer goes to see this purely because, you know, it's getting a lot of great reviews and has high acclaim and everything, um, would they would that sequence or, you know, the message of it, of this movie, would that be lost on them? Because I feel like... I feel like it, it's it, they might still you know, they still might not get it. I don't know. Like to to me, um, like when I saw Birdman, there was this girl, older girl. She's probably like thirty, but she was like with her dad. They're sitting. <laughs> we'll watch it now. Watch they, it, Carson. <laughs> they were no. They were they were sitting right behind us, and they're doing like the thing that annoying people do in the movie, where they'd be like, oh. Like, they'd be having, like, little mini conversations, like, oh, who is that? Is that Naomi Watts? Oh, yeah, I think it is. Is that the girl like, from the office? Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> just like, shut up. Like, we don't, your comments are unnecessary. Um, but, you know, like, during the trailers, they're, they're the ones who are just like, oh, did you know Stephen Hawking was still alive? Oh. It's just like, shut up. We don't care. Um, and I feel like someone like that, I feel like the Birdman would be totally lost on them. I I could be wrong, but I feel like the the genius of it and the you know the the, the satire and everything. I feel like that they they wouldn't be watching it on that sort of level, like or would be getting all the, like the inside baseball kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like even if you were to show a movie where characters are in a movie theater and characters exactly like those people are sitting behind the characters in the movie and they're doing the same thing <laughs> where they're like, oh my God, I just mentioned Ryan Gosling. Um, eh, eh, eh. And like, you know, the character in the movie turns around and is like, hey, your comments are unnecessary, you know, like shut up. Uh, I feel like the real people in the audience would laugh at that but have no idea going like, oh, that's me that they're making fun of on the screen. I feel like it would just be totally lost because that's, you know, I don't know. That's just me, though. <laughs> does anyone else think? Does anyone else think that like people like that that are watching Birdman would would uh, see like that sequence? You know, where it's just like, let's give them what they want and go like, oh yeah, like I wanted to see this or something. Well, I, 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 I don't know. I I don't think that they would get it um, contextually. But my counterpoint to the sentiment is that my like watching the film, I was like, oh man, like I don't know how, like people not in on the joke would feel about this film. Like it might just be weird to them, but my theater ate this movie up. Like people were like laughing like really hard at things that like I thought were funny or clever, but they were just like, (laughs) like rolling on the ground at moments that Hmm. like, cause I I mean, part of the reason why it was less funny was because I was just like reveling in the actual like presentation of it as opposed to what exactly was being presented. Um, But like the average person in my theater just, laughed at every single joke and were like having a really good time in a way that I would expect the film maybe to turn people off a little bit but mm-hmm. people just seem to love the crap out of it um, and and that's why I think it's you know 
I, I think it works on two levels almost that it, it is that accessible movie that people laugh at because there is stuff that's just funny regardless of you know whether or not it's you know poking Edward fun. Norton with a hard on right yeah <laughs> on stage well that's you always know, funny yeah. <laughs> even real yeah I mean regardless of whether or not you know that it's poking at some of the the inside stuff but like uh you know there's there's but there's clearly stuff that that I know I especially I laugh so hard at the line where Zach Galifianakis is just like we'll just get Meg Ryan's guy which I think is like the funniest line yeah <laughs> in the whole movie because. If you've seen Meg Ryan's face these days, she had a You know that her nose pl- is brand new. Yeah, you know that her nose was like the worst plastic surgery job ever. Um, and that's just such a hilarious line. But no one else laughed. Like, I probably laughed. I was like Robert De Niro in Cape Fear, like in the back, like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Like they probably thought I was crazy, but um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like I understand like there's stuff where like anyone will find it funny, but then there's other stuff that only certain people will find funny but i i don't know i just i just feel like that even even like like chris like you said the people were laughing but like but, but are they still registering the fact that like this is sending up a lot of the movies that they would maybe enjoy i don't know yeah but i don't know at the same time it's not it's like a okay so it's a biting satire but it's all kind of tongue-in-cheek about it too in the sense that like yeah I don't well, really see, yeah, think they're having a, they're I don't think all, with it. All, yeah, all the people involved aren't actually saying like these movies are terrible. We're never going to do that. Like there's clips of Robert Downey Jr. And I don't know for sure, but I bet he had to sign off on like having his face shown in this movie in these interviews and stuff. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe not. Um, but certainly like Edward Norton agreed to do a Hulk movie. Emma Stone is in the Spider-Man movies. The, yeah, it, it's kind of, you know, it's having fun in the sense like I think. Tropic Thunder is actually a great movie to compare it to where there there's less subtlety to it and the pure enjoyment factor is higher but it is also people like completely making fun of the type of movies that they make yeah and and their right. role in society and they can yeah. make fun of that and you can latch on like the more the more references you get the funnier it is that they threw them in the movie but at the same time it's also not like mean-spirited against those kind of actors or those kind of people like in the audience that would enjoy that kind of thing it's like it's making i i felt like the message of the movie is like we all take ourselves too seriously yeah Yeah. Um, and it's great if the audience really picks up on that but if they don't and they just find this hilarious then uh i think they're also not taking themselves too seriously well yeah i think they kind of got it either way well, yeah, because because like the the satire itself, as uh, yeah, like I, I'm the, the more I'm thinking of it as I'm listening to you, the more I'm like completely agreeing with that statement. Because like, take the douchey character that Edward Norton plays, like, not like all the characters in the film recognize him, even himself, as being a douchey character. Yet they all also realize that like he, it, it's worth it's worth putting up with his douchiness because of the final product you get from that douche of a person. So like, mm-hmm. it's it's not like aren't these actors really shitty? It's like, well, no, they're amazing. But the consequence of being amazing is that you're kind of a douche. So I guess we'll take both because in the end, we really want that performance and we'll put up with all the douchiness to get that performance. So it's it's like, it's not saying there's a problem. It's like celebrating it and yeah. uh, criticizing it at the same t- time. It, it's more like the film is more like a satire of the people who don't like the film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It was all... On on a very separate 
comparison uh did you guys see synecdoche in new york <laughs> I, I was actually yeah. surprised you didn't bring that up until now i was waiting yeah. for you to bring this up <laughs> yeah I it definitely like this, has that feel yeah th- this was like a much more humorous light look i know like plot wise some people might find it funny to say that this was a light movie but i actually felt like when you uh when you embrace the craziness then it's definitely not a like it's like dark in the humor sense but it's not like a depressing movie really it's like yeah. people are laughing yeah. throughout the movie right um synecdoche new york kind of had similar things to say about like an artist who puts everything into something and it keeps growing and growing and it has this like hugely theatrical view of this world where he's walking you know walking down these streets that he owns kind of and thinking about the dramatic process and things kind of spiraling out of control um i don't know i i I don't even have something very compelling to say in that comparison except that like i feel like these two movies are very nice counterpoints to each other (laughs) sort of it's both like making fun of the self-seriousness of art one of them doing it in like a very depressing way and the other having more of like a jolly good time with it. It's weird because if you knew nothing about the two movies and had to guess, one would probably guess that Inuritu directed Synecdoche, New York. Yeah, Kaufman and that, made Birdman. And that Charlie Kaufman made Birdman. <laughs> yeah, I mean the meta, like all the meta stuff, uh, Birdman could basically be like being John Malkovich too, right? It's Right, yeah. Pick, pick another actor, basically use him as himself. Yeah, use it to make fun of how we kind of deify actors <laughs> in, in the world right yeah and i mean it like birdman has that sort of adaptation feeling too where it's it's like super meta and playing with it's like it's it's making fun of the kind of movie that it is but it's also being a entry into the genre like mm-hmm. a, a legitimate entry yeah. so i mean that's usually the best satire is that it's sort of making fun of it while also being like a legitimate entry yeah and i another good comparison um uh on film drunk uh they compared it to uh black swan meets an an episode of louis which i thought was a great comparison because uh i feel like louis has the exact same sort of like you know, Louis C.K. is playing in like a version of himself, but like he is in clearly the real world, but it's like the real world filtered through this like sort of magical lens. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it and kind like fan- of... fantastical things will just happen out of nowhere. You're just like, oh, like I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. When I think about it, even like just the stylistically like the camera work and everything does sort of have a louis vibe like yeah. <laughs> I, I don't actually know how to put my finger on it because louis doesn't do just very long takes all the time but, but there's a lot of scenes like, of him so just sometimes he'll do, yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i guess there are a yeah. few like six minute dialogues <laughs> in one take um yeah no that's a, that's a good comparison yeah all, all i have to say on that <laughs> good observations Steve. <laughs> all right well do you have any any last things to talk about with this film uh no i guess i mean i thought that one scene was really funny when um like michael keaton comes out onto the set and uh you know he he walks by accidentally knocks over like the the backdrop and he's just like nice model <laughs> thank you I, I thought the 
almost opening scene. I, I'm not worried about spoilers. I guess it happens in the first five minutes when like a light falls and hits someone. Yeah, it's in the I trailer. That, that like, oh, it's in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, I, I, I that thought that like trailer. really set the tone for the movie of like crazy things will happen, and the camera will not linger on the crazy thing happening. It's going to linger on Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think that like that style definitely serves the movie very well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And I want to know from an actual like filmmaker, some of those camera shots, how do they do it? Like there are ones where the camera like flies off a roof and then it zooms out and it's like looking through the railing of another roof. Like like I I know these aren't really one take. They're doing some kind of like splicing together and probably adding a little bit of CG to, well, <laughs> to yeah, make yeah, it feel I that think, way. I think the railing in that is CG. Yeah, the railing okay. is CG. Okay, and then obviously I like the, the cut into the window. Like they'll they'll go up to a certain point, cut, and then start from like inside the window, and then go forward. Yeah. But like some I, of the stuff, like where they move, like they they'll they'll like crane down from like a rooftop or something. Um, I think that's just all like the magic of like there's a guy, and then they like they move the camera off the steady cam and put it onto a crane, and they just go. <laughs> It's like, like that OK Go music video or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah it's just there, like... There's an actual Birdman who flies off the balcony <laughs> and comes down to the stage. Actually, there would it would be really cool like if on the on the, the DVD they had like a, a making of and they just had like a dude filming the, the, like the film crew. So like you could see like how they did like a lot of these like long takes or the like the send-offs, you know. Because they that could, would, that they would could almost... release something that's actually called Birdman 4, and it's just a four-up display <laughs> of all the shots that get stitched in together, and you watch the entire movie from all these different angles. No, but that would be cool, though, to see, like, how they filmed it. Like, how the... Because, like, there's... It's always, like... I mean, it's weird because, like, to watch a movie, you always know that, like... Like, just, like, an inch out of frame, there's, like, some dude, like, there's a PA, like, standing there, or there's just, like, you know, some dude with a boom or something. Like, it, it's always, like, it's always so funny, because, like, if you turn the camera just a little bit, it's like, oh, the magic's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but it's always funny to see, like, it's always cool to see that, because that's almost, like, would be as interesting as watching the movie, you know, and For sure. getting, I mean, this... getting taken away. I'm not one normally to let a movie like rise or fall based on the camera work. Uh, I don't normally like at its best. I don't notice it usually. Uh, this movie, it definitely drew attention to it in a way that made me like seriously impressed and curious about how they like this had to be such a meticulously planned film to get it to look and feel the way that it did. Uh I I really can't imagine what goes into making a movie like that, especially because his other movies, I I probably haven't seen all of them, but they do not have any sort of really fancy technical skill. But I mean, not not no technical skill, but like there's there's nothing like this in those movies. They're kind no. of more like close this, up shots, a lot of quick cuts back and forth in dialogue. This is almost like an Alfonso Cuarón movie where we get you know the the long takes mm. um uh, just the long extended takes for like certain sequences i mean he's done that a bunch in his movies and well, um, the, i think you know like he, no i just think that i think in your ritu definitely has he uses different styles like in each of his movies 
And I think that, you know, with this movie, he just decided, well, like, doing it all as seemingly one take is going to be the style for this movie. Well, that, that, see, that, that kind of begs the question to me, like, what, how much of this was actually communicated in the language of the script itself? Because if I just read the script, or the, like, even just like a, a, like, I read closed captions for this film and didn't watch it, like, I, there's, I... Like, the presentation of it and the performances are what sell this film as being worth watching. If you just read it, I don't know that it would have the same... I don't. I just don't think it would work in the same way. Well, I mean, I think there might have been a mention in the script that, like, hey, we're going to try and do this, like, all as one take, or seemingly all as one take. Um, <laughs> just, but, like, every, every page, like... And keep in mind, we haven't cut yet. Yeah. But, yeah, but, I mean, I think, I think obviously, you know, I, I would imagine that an actor would read the script and then Inuritu would be like, oh, and guess what? It's all going to be shot this way. And then it's like, oh, shit, like, this is going to be something cool. Well, um, I imagine Edward Norton, like, reading his part and being like, wait a second. <laughs> like, what is it about it that made him go like, oh, yeah, for sure I want to do this? Well, I think, like, the script is strong enough. Like, even if it was done in the, uh, the, the usual filmmaking way, like, I still think that, you know, Every, I still think every actor would have been in this movie. I think purely because the script is as strong as it is and, like, the material of it is, you know, fun and, and there's a lot of fun things, actory things to do in it. Yeah. And, I mean, unless... That, also, unless that unless Inuritu like, is a director. I mean, that's, yeah, like, unless I think, you're a huge Scott, selling point. Unless you're, like, Scott Tobias in The Dissolve, then <laughs> most people love Inuritu. <laughs> and, like, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure, like, if he says he wants you to be a meta character in his new movie like most people are gonna want to do that yeah right. even if they didn't say even if he was just like hey come be in my movie and they'd be like all right yeah <laughs> so so if somebody read this script and it said like written by carson patrick on it like they'd be like who the f- is carson patrick they'd be like well f this movie because <laughs> i saw white saw and it was a piece of shit <laughs> they're all, they're all, this sounds like this writer's on coke <laughs> I, I don't know. I could definitely get Nicolas Cage in a movie. That's probably for sure. <laughs> I, I do feel like the movie could have been a play or something and not much. I mean, something would be lost in the filmmaking style, but it is framed in such a way that there's never more than one or two people talking to each other at the same time. Yeah. Like it really is very dialogue centric uh, and has very like it's all continuous, but it has very discreet jumps between who is together now what is happening now now the scene has changed yeah i I guess i just feel like you know we we have all these these scenes intercut like so we have these parts of the play that's happening within the play that are happening and taken out of context like maybe those scenes sound like maybe the dialogue that's happening sounds interesting or poignant and then like you're like oh when you step back one layer like well it's weird like they're talking like like the one woman who's talking about like things were one way until a baby came into the picture and then how that relates to the actors themselves performing in the play it's like okay cool there's this connection it's all meta that's fine and dandy but i can't imagine being captivated by this script listening to a table read I I could I I definitely could see why. Really? I know I would I yeah, for sure. I totally yeah. would be. I think I would be too. All right. Well, I guess you guys are just better people than I am. <laughs> I guess so. Like like the scene, we get the scene, lost in the one takeness of it all. The, the scene where Edward Norton first shows up and he's like helping Michael Keaton rewrite that one scene that they're both practicing in that moment. Like that's a great moment and the performances in that moment are great, but I think that like 
there's nothing about what they're saying that is that great. It's just the performances that are that great. I, so, I think if they did Birdman as a like a real play, it would still be just as entertaining. It would be funny as if they, like somehow they faked takes in the play version. Like everybody just stops and gets repositioned and then starts again. <laughs> they, they tell like the people in the audience, okay, everybody get up, now run over here, now circle around. <laughs> that would be awesome. Or like the curtain never comes up, but there's screens on the back of everybody's seat. And you just watch the entire play through a monitor. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, Birdman did say in this movie, like, oh, all this talking is so boring. So I guess I guess Chris needed the visual trickery to to make it entertaining. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just I'm just saying I still think it would be entertaining. I still think it would be uh, like I said, if, if it was just people acting it out on stage, I think that it would still be it would still be it would still work. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So should we get to our verdicts, guys? Uh, I think so. Yes. All right. So Carson, if you're going to give this a must see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or must avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I would definitely give it a must see. I think it's worth, uh, definitely worth watching for sure, for all the reasons we've mentioned. Steven? Yeah, same uh, must see. Even if I think its message wasn't as deep as it could have been and it's also almost unfair to be so meta (laughs) that you make yourself immune to criticism for a lot of your decisions um it's like a clever trick and a really really vibrant movie and i i actually can't imagine too many people maybe i have a higher view of people than carson i can't imagine that many people walking out and not having enjoyed this movie like it grabs you from the beginning and it's just so different and has enough humor and it, it like it's dialogue heavy but it punches up everything every few minutes it's not like you're just sitting there watching depressed people talk about how they can't communicate with each other like babble um <laughs> i think i i don't know there, there's a lot to chew on and it's really cool and the ending especially like the last 10 or 20 minutes of this movie it really like goes out with a bang like it goes out in a high note um yeah <laughs> literally yes literally <laughs> yes um so yeah like during during the course of the film i i could imagine somebody watching the film and not enjoying it uh however anecdotally paying attention to my audience throughout the remainder of the film it was became pretty obvious that people who i would expect to possibly not like it were eating it up so i think that like while uh, cognitively during the film, I was thinking that this would end up being a recommend with a caveat. Uh, I it seems like it's appealing to everybody, so I I guess it gets a must see. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, why not? Why not? Let's get the must see us all the way around. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're speaking for the people. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that that's 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 why we do this podcast, right? Yeah, but I mean, you should still give your rating you know give the people what they personally want. and not generally well, no, no like I, I said like this is one of those films where like i i was enjoying it but i couldn't imagine everybody enjoying it but then when i walked to the theater it had it appeared that everybody enjoyed it so i yeah I, it's like this little voice in the back of my head was was telling me that like people are not gonna like this movie um but 
it but it, if they hadn't enjoyed it would you still have given it a must see or would you still have enjoyed it no i, I enjoyed it okay um, yeah, i think chris chris's idea of a caveat like mine is if we know that a film is like very particular and won't appeal to everyone yeah we want yeah. to have a caveat saying this might not appeal to you yeah that, that's um, sort of like even for films that i 100 percent love but i'm like i feel like if i recommended this to somebody they would come back to me and be like yeah. why did you recommend that to me which is like every recommendation on my end is yeah. that <laughs> no one will like this movie which is yeah. pretty sure how the next review is gonna go so but there are films like like say inception where i'm like if you don't like this i don't care i'm glad i recommended it to you you freaking right. go see this movie yeah <laughs> like, no yeah yeah so so i think that the, the, in general i try to reserve a must see for like screw you watch this and if you don't like it i don't care that you didn't like it i'm glad you saw it um yeah and i would during the course of this film i was worried that I could recommend it to somebody and have them come back to me and be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like a buddy of mine who <laughs> was like, I watched Drive because he said it was so awesome and I hate that movie. <laughs> wow. That, that, well, that guy's lame. Yeah, your buddy is terrible. <laughs> yeah, he's a terrible person. <laughs> I'll, I'll let him know you both think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, this movie, like it, the way we're describing it, it sounds <laughs> yeah, he, like it he could also be this... didn't like the Lego movie, sorry. <laughs> what? All right, then my my I, I bar for he's a robot. My, my bar for acquired taste is way, way too high. Um, <laughs> I, I was gonna say if this movie were just like all like droll irony, like some like later Woody Allen movie or something like that, then we could all be talking about how great it is, and someone would watch it and would be like, "What? I don't get it. That was stupid." Well, yeah. I mean, it's there's, exactly, there's so much yeah. to pull you into this movie. I feel like you can't walk away and not at least be like dazzled even if you don't completely vibe with what's going on yeah yeah no no for sure yeah i i think that's definitely for sure because like the whole idea of it looking like one take i think that's still like it's like one of the last things that you could do in a movie that people are still like how'd they do that like i i serious like i think that you know it's still like in gravity where you know the the whole opening sequence you're just like you know on top of the fact that it looks so good you're just like like how the fuck did they do this? I don't know. Like it's just it's still like that, you know, out of all the CGI and everything, it's just like that simple like making it look like it's just unbroken is still like wow, that's like still like the the highest, you know. Yeah, it's not even the, just the technical achievement of it. It's for a person like me watching that sort of thing, I'm just thinking of the setup for like I don't care how the in the editing room it will get pieced together. Just the, the sheer fact of setting it up and moving around and making that happen. Like even go back to uh, I was like I like to go to tangents at the end of the film um, or at the end of the review. Uh, if you go back to Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind, that that scene where um, Jim Carrey is like he first sees himself in the machine having his memories be erased and like yeah. it's stepping through different scenes like they film that by like literally Jim Carrey is running around the camera operator and coming back in in like a different suit and then running around and coming back in and like a different thing again to like yeah. make that happen just just that's the part that blows my mind like I don't care how it's stitched together I don't care how thing like the whole mechanics of simply making it so that a camera can move through a scene and capture somebody here and there is impressive to me yeah so yes yeah and if you want to watch a really impressive movie you can <laughs> uh, other than birdman um there's watch that white movie, saw <laughs> yeah white saw um 
There's it's all one take, clearly. <laughs> you should um, make White Saw four. Just skip two two and three. <laughs> two and three were terrible. White Saw four is where it's at. <laughs> um, but no, there's a movie called Russian Ark that's all one take, like legitimately, like ninety six minutes of all one take. Um and that movie is super impressive. <laughs> you wanna know a funny wow. story about that movie? Uh, when it first came out, I was like, this sounds freaking brilliant. And I bought the DVD and it was unwrapped and, or it was, it was unopened and I had it and I was just waiting for a chance to watch it. And then I was talking about it in front of a girlfriend's parents and they said, that sounds awesome. I'm like, oh, you can borrow it. I haven't watched it yet, but you can borrow it. And then we broke up and I never got that DVD. Oh, no. Lame. <laughs> that sucks. So I've still not seen Russian Ark. Um, but I did at one point own that movie. <laughs> Dude, that that's a great film. Um, yeah, that's a totally I, mind-blowing movie. I think that justifies piracy. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I, I already paid for that movie in two ways. <laughs> True, yeah. Well, I was trying to think. I was like, I, I don't think I own it, but if I buy it, I'll, I'll, bar- I'll lend it to you. <laughs> Unless right. you break up with me, and then I'll be like, I never got it back. <laughs> Son of a just, bitch. They're like an episode ends with you being like, oh, yeah, I bought it. I'll send it to you. I'm like, okay, cool. And the next episode, you're just not on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I fell through a wormhole. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, Chris, I'm coming back. And then I didn't come back. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, let's, let's end this episode, guys. So My uh, best Matthew McConaughey. Yes. All right, Carson, before you make another joke. <laughs> <laughs> Let people know where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on uh, practicalcandy.wordpress.com. Steven? You can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash warning or like us at facebook.com slash warning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com. You can use the contact form on our website, or you can call us 760-575-4879. Well, that number, I've said it wrong five times. In the edit, you'll hear it one time, but that's it. Just talk to Jenny. She'll forward it to us. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Birdman. So hopefully you're enjoying that. Second and, uh, episode in a row of mostly drum solos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think if if uh, if the drum stuff for some reason isn't on the soundtrack for some strange reason, I'll just throw Miles Teller <laughs> in there. Doing with Flash. <laughs> yeah. Or Car- Caravan has the long opening drum solo, so I'll start with that. And sorry for people listening to the episode. I usually put exactly 16 seconds of music and then duck down for four seconds, and then we come in at about three seconds through that four seconds. Um, but... Since the, the phrases at the beginning of Caravan were much longer for the drums before any other instrument played in, I just left like 30 seconds of drumming in there at the very beginning of that episode. So if that... I'm sure it was their favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Our, hey, our, our Whiplash episode was fine. It was the John Wick episode that was all crazy. <laughs> That's true. Anyways, uh, and also if you didn't listen to the John Wick episode, you should go back and listen to it because it's either our best or worst episode ever. So Yes. Yeah, depending on what you're listening to us for, that that could either solidify the fact that we are terrible hacks and you don't want to listen to us anymore, or could have had you rolling on the ground laughing. You know what's funny is that I uh, I told Sarah, I was like, oh, so did you listen to John Wick? Because I was like, it's really funny. It's 
probably like the funniest episode we've done. She was like, yeah, yeah, I listened to it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so she didn't think it was funny. I don't think she thought she didn't think it was that funny. <laughs> you didn't question her any more than that. She's like, uh, now I can kind of see why that guy wrote that review. <laughs> She's all, for the sake of our relationship, we're not going to continue this conversation. <laughs> She's like, yeah, kind of like how I don't want to see Interstellar with you.